would come to visit us. Help us to understand, Lord, your grace and your mercy and the meaning for this day that we celebrate called Palm Sunday. Help us, Lord, to grasp that this is not about plants and bunnies and eggs. It's not about a time to dress up and even, even gather as families, as good as these things may be. It's a time for us to remember who this is all about and to recognize that indeed this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, the Son of God, come to save us from our sin. Open our eyes today that we might behold wondrous things out of your law, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. There is a long-running segment in the magazine Sports Illustrated called Faces in the Crowd. It started way back in January 1956, and up to this date, there have been almost 20,000 different athletes that have been featured. The focus is on unknown amateur athletes usually those who are in high school, whose accomplishments are exceptional and yet whose stories are often overlooked. They post a picture of these athletes with a little bit of uh, biographical material, maybe five or six people in every issue. Some of these faces actually become famous later on in life. For instance, in the 1950s, we were introduced to a high school golfer by the name of Jack Nicholas, who became pretty good. In the 1960s, and also in the 50s, Wilma Rudolph became a famous track star. In the 1960s, there was a figure skater who became very famous, but not as an ice skater, but as a fashion designer, Vera Wang. And then in the 1970s, there was some guy, a basketballer, who came from East Lansing by the name of Irvin Johnson, who became somewhat famous. The premise of all of this is that these individuals are outstanding, but they're lost in the crowd and their stories are forgotten. Their extraordinary exploits, often unknown. And so Sports Illustrated says, let me bring these people to your attention. I think that that's very true on the very first Palm Sunday. That is, there are some remarkable people that are faces in the crowd that we often overlook. We forget about their presence. When we retell the story of Palm Sunday, they're rarely noted, and so today, hopefully, we can bring some of these people to your attention. By the way, the the story of Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday is so important that it's cited in all four of the Gospels. That's rather unusual. J.C. Ryle, a great Bible scholar, put it this way, it is not for nothing that this entry into Jerusalem is four times related In the New Testament, it is evident that it is a scene in the earthly life of Jesus which Christians are intended to study with special attention. So we want to study this story with some special attention. I urge you to look at Matthew chapter 21 to start off. And we'll touch on all four of the Gospels, 
So keep your thinking caps on as we jump from place to place this morning to put together the story of some faces in the crowd. Now we read responsively from Matthew chapter 21, I'll not go through it again, but just to highlight that Jesus, when he rode into Jerusalem, knew exactly what he was doing. It was all intentional and most likely premeditated and planned. The donkey was there, the disciples were sent, they retrieved the animals, Jesus rode into the city on a donkey. Donkey was a noble beast back in that day, but it may also show that Jesus was a king of peace, not a king of war. King of war would ride on a, a great steed, a mighty horse. But he did this, the Bible says, to fulfill what was prophesied of the Messiah in Zechariah 9.9. And the people who knew those prophecies knew exactly what Jesus was doing, and they responded with some Old Testament words of their own from Psalm 118, Hosanna which has a dual purpose of praise and honor on the one hand and a request because it literally means, Lord, save us now. And when you look at what the people were saying in Matthew 21, that's exactly what they were saying. Save us now, son of David. You've come in the name of the Lord. Save us now. And it was their hope that Jesus would institute his kingdom that day and they would be blessed in the glorious, righteous reign of Jesus. I like verse 10. The whole city was stirred. There wasn't a house in all the land of Israel who didn't know what Jesus was doing and what had happened that day. Who is this? He is both the man, the prophet from Nazareth, and he is Messiah, the Son of God, as it says in verse 9, the Son of David. Notice verse 8 says that a very large crowd was following him. And verse 9 says the crowds went ahead of him and the crowds followed him. Probably through the narrow press of the trail, they all couldn't get around him. And this crowd had been accumulating for a long time. In John's Gospel, chapter 12, it's called a great crowd that had come for the Passover feast. And William Barclay says that there might have been up to 2.5 million people in Jerusalem for this Passover feast. If you've been with us in our study of the Gospel of Mark, you'll note that we've been citing the crowds that came to Jesus. In Mark 2, the crowds were so great they had to make an opening in the roof to get to him. In chapter 3, the crowd was so great, Jesus withdrew to the lake and sat in a boat to teach the crowd. And in Mark chapter 8, the crowd was so large and in need of food that Jesus fed 4,000 or 5,000 plus, two different occasions. Maybe fifteen to 20,000 people were fed by the Lord Jesus. Now, it's important to note that this crowd, like a snowball, had been gaining critical mass for about nine months. You see, it was nine months before that Jesus set his face like a flint to go toward the city of Jerusalem. And this map recalls his journey. He started out in the northernmost uh, re, uh, the northern region 
of Israel at that time, just below Mount Hermon, it's a city called Caesarea Philippi. In the Old Testament, it's the city of Dan. And it was there that Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus began to come further south. He went to the Galilee, that region that he lived with the cities like Capernaum and Bethsaida on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. From there he entered into the territory of Samaria where there was a mixture of Jew and Gentile, the half-breeds that were despised by the Orthodox. Jesus ministered there. He went further south into the Judean hill country and then crossed over the Jordan to the east. The regions beyond the Jordan on the east side are called Perea. And then from Perea, He came back toward the west, crossed the river Jordan again, and went to the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey. But before he went to Jerusalem, the main road from the east to the city of Jerusalem went through the city of Jericho, the city of Palms. And it was in that city of Palms that Jesus did some amazing things. That's where I want to begin the story of the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to remember that these crowds that followed Christ are not nameless people. There are individuals in the crowd, broken people, people with needs, just like you and just like me. Unusual faces in the crowd. The common people that have been touched by extraordinary, uncommon grace. And because of that, they couldn't help but follow the Lord Jesus Christ. People whose amazing stories are often forgotten in the mass of humanity that followed him on Palm Sunday. And we want to bring some of those faces to your attention. So let's focus on a few of the uncommon people. And first of all, I want you to turn to Luke 19. Luke's Gospel and chapter 19. The story of the triumphal entry actually begins in verse 28 of Luke 19, but I want you to see what happens just before then. So Luke 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho. Remember, he had to pass through that city on his way from Perea, working his way west to the city of Jerusalem. So he was passing through Jericho, and there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. Remember this story? Do you ever put it together with Palm Sunday? It's in the same context. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a hated man, and he was a wealthy man. Hated maybe because of his wealth, probably hated more because of how he got his wealth. As a tax collector, he would, he being a Jew, would collect taxes from the Jews to give to the Romans, and through extortion, he took more than he should and put it in his own bank account. So he was wealthy, and because of that, he was hated. But it says in verse 2 that this man Zacchaeus, verse 3, wanted to see Jesus. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. I find it interesting and amazing that many well-to-do people in moments of extreme honesty will tell you they're not satisfied with their extreme wealth. They want something more. And many of them want to know 
about Jesus Christ. Ed Dobson, my good friend who pastored in Grand Rapids and just recently went home to be with the Lord, for a period of years flew down to Florida to a remote community where a bunch of celebrities got together and wanted Ed to teach them the Bible. If I mentioned their names, you would probably know them. They were hungering for something deeper. I imagine his life wasn't satisfying and all the money, but the crowd got in his way. Why? Because he was small, yes, and because they hated this guy. I mean, they weren't going to let him through. If he tried to work his way to the front, he'd get an elbow in the face. So verse 4 says, he ran ahead, knowing where Jesus was going to go, climbed up in a sycamore tree and was waiting for Jesus to pass by. Miraculously, verse 5 says, when Jesus reached that spot, he stopped. He looked up and he said to Zacchaeus, come down immediately, I must stay at your house. He took notice of Zacchaeus when no one else did. He loved Zacchaeus when no one else did. He didn't approve of what Zacchaeus was doing, and nor should we approve of what sinners are doing, but we ought to love them. He came down at once, immediate obedient, verse 6. Welcomed him gladly. I love that phrase. (laughs) Welcomed him gladly into his home. Verse 7, and all the people saw this, and they began to mutter. What is mutter? That's where you criticize under your breath. Did you see what he just did? I can't believe it. Jesus apparently doesn't know what he's getting into. Doesn't he know that this guy's a sinner? I think he knows, but apparently you don't know why he came. You don't know what Jesus is about. If you hate sinners, if you can't look past their sin, you don't understand what Jesus is all about. You don't understand what's dear to his heart. You don't understand why he came into the world. So in verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up. By this time, they're in Zacchaeus' house in Jericho. Must have been a great place. Jesus received the dinner invitation. I must go to your house. And there they were. Zacchaeus stood up and said, look, Lord. Here I now give half of my possessions to the poor. That's pretty generous. Would you be willing to give half of what you have to the poor? And if I have cheated on anyone, now I hear people criticize this repentance, but give the guy a break. He's either not a believer yet, or he's only been a believer for five minutes. But he's showing the mark of a real believer. If I've cheated anyone out of everything, I will pay back four times. Now, the law required, the law of restitution required 20% back. Zacchaeus is going to pay 400% back. I say that's real repentance. Genuine repentance is judged by your actions. Repentance is known by your fruit. And Jesus said, verse 9, this guy's saved. (laughs) Salvation has come to this house. He probably said that for others to hear. He's a real son of Abraham. I know he is physically, but now spiritually, he's following the faith of Abraham. And then Jesus said in verse 10, 
For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now they're still in Zacchaeus' house. The lost man has been found. Verse 11, while they were still listening to what Jesus was saying, Jesus told them a parable about money, the minas. Mina is about one-fourth of an annual salary. And he told them this story because although they were getting near to Jerusalem, the people thought that the kingdom was going to appear at once. And Jesus wanted them to know, no, they still needed to be faithful with what they had been given. So now you jump down to verse 28. And after Jesus told the story about the minas, after he said this, he went on ahead and went up to Jerusalem. And now we get into the triumphal entry story. And if you jump down to verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives and there's a steep decline into the valley of Kidron and then up into the city of Jerusalem, when they peaked the hill on the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. What miracles? Well, just maybe the miracle of a wealthy man and a hated man who had become a generous man and let go of his wealth. The salvation of Zacchaeus. I can't say for certain, but I kind of believe, and it's very possible that Zacchaeus was in the crowd that followed Jesus into the city and shouted, Hosanna. Because he was now a believer. And when grace touches your heart, you want to honor God. You don't care about things. You'll willingly give them up and make things right to follow Jesus as your king. But there's someone else who was a face in the crowd and miraculously changed. Look at Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Now, the story of the triumphal entry in Mark begins with 11 in verse 1. The familiar words as they approach Jerusalem. But I want to jump back into chapter 10 and see something else that happened in the city of Jericho. And this happened to a man who was the son of Timaeus. We read in verse 46, they came to Jericho... And as Jesus and, his, uh, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. Now, where did they leave the city of Jericho from? From Zach's house. From just having a big banquet in the house of a tax collector. And as they're leaving the city, they pass a blind man. The scripture calls him Bartimaeus. The word bar is son of, and it actually says that, son of Timaeus. We'll just call him Bart. And he was sitting on the roadside begging. So this guy is blind and he's poor. He's a beggar. He's got two strikes against him. Probably more. And verse 47 says, When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming by, he began to shout. His eyes didn't work, but his ears did, and so did his mouth. And he shouted, I love this, Jesus of Nazareth. Son of David. What a great theological statement. As we've noticed before, 
Uh, Jesus of Nazareth emphasizes his humanity. Son of David emphasizes his deity. All the Old Testament prophets talked about the Messiah coming, who would be God come down to us, Emmanuel. And this blind beggar knew who Jesus was. Do you know? He's man, but he's God. That's who's coming into Jerusalem. And verse 48 says, and many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Boy, it's a tough crowd in Jericho. They didn't like Zacchaeus. They don't like blind people. They don't like rich people. They don't. That's the way a lot of us are. We just don't like people. And they rebuked him, told him to be quiet. But I love the tenacity of this guy. He wouldn't be stopped. He shouted louder. You see, when you want to see Jesus, nothing will stop you. I don't have to persuade you. I don't have to con you. When God touches your heart, you will want Jesus. And this guy wanted him. And Jesus stopped. Verse 49, he always stops when people call. He stopped at the place to talk to Zacchaeus. He stopped at the cry to talk to Bart, Bartimaeus. He'll always listen your call. He's Lord, King, and he's Savior. And I love verse 49. They, they said to the blind man, cheer up. He's calling you. Nothing more exciting in all the world than that. Jesus notices you. Jesus is calling you. And your main name may not be Zacchaeus, and it may not be son of Timaeus, but Jesus is calling you today, Mary and Sam and Steve. He's calling you today, and he loves you, and he wants to give you grace and mercy. So this guy, verse 50, eagerly jumps up and throws aside his only possession, his cloak. Oh, maybe he left a few pennies in the pot, and he went, to Jesus, and Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? That's a great statement, isn't it? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the person said, who says, make me rich, make me famous, eh, Jesus isn't too interested in that, but when people are broken, they go to their greatest need. He says, I want to see, and immediately he sees. Verse 52, go, your faith has healed you. It's the power of Jesus that heals, but it's our faith that connects us with the power. Go. Faith in me is always rewarded. And verse 52 says, immediately he received his sight, and he followed Jesus along the road. So although I cannot be certain about Zacchaeus, I can be certain about blind Bartimaeus, he followed Jesus into Jerusalem and was numbered among the chorus who said, Hosanna. Because when your heart is touched by grace, you want to follow Jesus. You want to be with him. And so when we go to verse 37 of Luke 19 again, and it says, the whole crowd of disciples who were cresting the hill called Mount of Olives began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen, one of those miracles was blind Bartimaeus. 
But there's at least one more. And this may be the most amazing of all. Turn to John. John chapter 12. The Gospel of John chapter 12. The story of the triumphal entry in this gospel begins in verse 12. But I want to begin our story before. Look at verse 1. Six days before the Passover. So this is the Saturday before Good Friday. The Saturday a week before Easter. It's the Passover feast. And Jesus arrived at Bethany. Now, where's Bethany? It's on that hill of Mount of Olives, on the eastern slope. And so Jesus had passed through Jericho, and maybe in the crowd is Zacchaeus, and in the crowd we know for sure is blind Bartimaeus, and a hundred and maybe thousand of other people who've gathered in this long journey toward the city. And Saturday night, they stopped for dinner at Bethany. Jesus arrives at Bethany where Lazarus lived. Who's Lazarus? This is the guy Jesus raised from the dead. You want to know about that story? Read about it in chapter 11. Now the guy's alive and he's sitting down for dinner with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? It just blows my mind. The Bible tells us, verse 2, Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, of course. That's what she always does. Gets into trouble often for doing it. And Lazarus was sitting among those reclining at the table with him. Now I I have a whole ton of questions. What did this guy look like? I mean, did he eat with everyone else? I guess so. He's been brought back to life. And I'm sure people around the table said, you know, just a few days ago this guy was dead. We thought he was stinking in the tomb. We were shocked when Jesus delayed his coming and then called him out of the tomb. We said, don't do it, Lord. His body's decaying. There'll be a horrible stench, but he comes out and he's alive and the grave clothes are wrapped off, taken off him, and the guy looks good. Never looks so good. And now he is sitting down at dinner. Martha's serving. Mary is anointing the feet of Jesus. This is the same scenario you read about in Luke chapter 10. So Mary anoints Jesus. But look at verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there. And they came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. Now Jesus is sharing top billing with this guy Lazarus. Yeah, we want to see Jesus, but where's the dead guy? You can't, I can't believe it. He looks good for being dead, almost dead, now alive. And the crowds that followed him were great, and the crowds that are anticipating his coming are great. Verse 10 says, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus. <laughs> Wherever you've got something positive going on, you've also got a lot of negativity. Wherever there is zeal, there is someone there to throw a wet blanket on it. And the chief priests want to kill the guy who's just gotten his life back. Give the guy a break. He was on their hit list. So they made plans 
already had plans to kill Jesus. Now they made plans to kill Lazarus. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. I love verse 11. It's a great statement of the gospel. Many people were going over to Jesus. They were leaving one way of life and belief and going over to Christ. That's called repentance. And they were putting their faith and trust in him. Turn and trust. That's the gospel. And so many people were doing it that the leaders tried to put a stop to it. And that's when you come to verse 12. The next day, a great crowd that had come for the feast heard about Jesus, heard that he was on his way. They anticipated his coming, and they met him in front of him with the palm branches and the shouts of Hosanna. Look at verse 16. It says, at first the disciples did not understand all that was happening, all the shouting, all the words. Isn't it interesting? Many of the people anticipated and knew and believed that Jesus was the Messiah and the disciples still didn't get it? They're still in the dark? I don't mean to be critical, but come on. And yet if I were there, I'm sure I would still be in the dark too because it takes a long time for us to get it. Only after Jesus was glorified, verse 16 says, did they realize that these things that had been written about him had actually happened at this time. But look at verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. And the Pharisees, they're dumbfounded. They said to one another, this is getting us nowhere. We got, we've got to do something. And I can't say for sure, but I, it's highly probable that Lazarus was in the crowd with Bartimaeus and with Zacchaeus singing the praises of God and shouting with his newfound life, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Because when your heart is touched by grace, you want to follow Jesus. You want to be with Jesus. You want to praise Jesus. And so it says in verse 37, the whole crowd of disciples, as they peaked the hill called Mount of Olives, just coming from the little city of Bethany, began with joyous shouts loud voices to praise God for all the miracles they had seen. What miracles? Zacchaeus? Bartimaeus? Lazarus? And a bunch of others we don't even know about. Faces in the crowd. Zacchaeus, the wealthy man who was hated, was lost but now is found. Bartimaeus, blind and a beggar, but now he could see. Jesus gives him sight. And Lazarus, raised to life by Jesus. The hated man, the blind man, and the dead man, all touched by the grace of God and were never, ever the same. 
And that's what was happening on Palm Sunday. Faces in the crowd that day are like faces in the crowd today of broken people, many of whom have been touched by the grace of God. Amen? And some who have yet to turn to Jesus. He's passing your way. He's here today. He'll respond to your call. He'll give you something to live for. He'll give you the ability to see. He'll give you life again. If you'll just come over to Jesus and put your faith in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know the hearts of this great crowd in front of me today, but you do. Like you knew Zacchaeus, like you knew Bartimaeus, and like you knew Lazarus. Some need to be found, some need to see, some need to live again. And they will if they will come over to Jesus and put their faith in him. Lord, I pray that some people right now will say, Lord Jesus, save me. You came into the world to save sinners. Save me. I cry out to you right now, Lord, I want to see. Lord, I pray people will cry out, Lord, forgive me. And in the cry of faith, you respond every time. And miracles take place. May it be so today in Jesus' name.